0: Guys, we're in the middle of the pandemic and these are trying times. It's hard on our mental health, our mental state. And this is why I love our sponsor today, BetterHelp. They're the largest online counseling platform worldwide. They change the way people get help with facing life's challenges by providing convenient, discreet, affordable access to licensed therapists. BetterHelp makes professional counseling available anytime, anywhere, through a computer tablet or smartphone. It's brilliant. Sign up today. Go to betterhelp.com backslash solving healthcare and get 10% off sign up fees. to Quadcast99 at gmail.com, reach out on Facebook at Quadcast, or online at drquadjo.ca. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadro Caramante. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. Quadcast Nation, welcome back. We got my man, Dr. Sumant Chakrabarty. Yes, he is back in full effect. And let me tell you something. I've been excited about getting them back on and having this chat that we're going to have today because I feel like in Ontario, we're losing our minds, my my friend. I feel like we're losing our mind. I think, you know, when we compare ourselves to some of the other areas in the world, I just feel like, what the heck is happening? So I, I must admit, I leaned on an ally. I got my boy, Sumon, to come on and comment on a few things. So, Sumon, welcome back. Thanks for having me. These balloons, by the way, are from a birthday party. So I hope (laughs) they they add some decoration here. Some decorations. It's all decorations. (laughs) One last plug, Solving Wellness. We have a Facebook community now. Go to facebook.com backslash groups backslash Solving Wellness, where we're changing the boogie, reducing burnout amongst healthcare providers. And we're recruiting for our study, yo. So uh, check out uh, the links below. Okay, my friend, we are in a sixth wave. I want to get your impression on just your overall thoughts about this this wave that we're going through at this time. Was it as expected? Was it um, uh, better than expected? Like what were your thoughts on?
1: Yeah, you, you know, um, I'll say one thing. I mean, obviously it's easy to speak in hindsight, but I will say that I was talking about this wave kind of like, like right at kind of the foot of it when it was starting back in uh, March at some point. Um, you know, I, I think that for for those of us who, who've worked in the hospital during the, the winter and kind of the spring season, we know that we always have this kind of respiratory bump near the end of the winter, early spring. A lot of the time it's influenza B and I'm talking before the pandemic. So the fact that we were having another bump wasn't totally surprising to me. Uh, it was a variant replacement this uh, year again, kind of like last year went from wild type to alpha. And yes, it was alpha, not delta around this time when we had our third wave on top of the second wave. One of the one of the toughest times that I think that we went through in, in, in the whole pan- pandemic, seeing you know, first of all, the hospitals were overwhelmed, but then also just having like 30 and 40 year old sick uh, on the ventilator. It was, it, it was tough. This year, you know, it, it was a very different story. I think that we, even though we had a ton of patients in December, we always see routinely uh, that the, the this kind of late bump it, it, it tends to be uh, smaller and, and certainly a, a less uh, severe as what we normally see in the winter time. And that's what I was fully expecting to see. Obviously, I didn't have a crystal ball, and that's seemingly what we're seeing here. I think there were a lot of predictions that this would, you know, outpace the the, the uh, fifth wave or whatever we just had. Uh, you know, uh, people were looking at the wastewater signals and extrapolating from that, which I think really doesn't make a lot of sense because it's two different viruses. But I think that overall, this was what I expected it to be—a wave that was there. It had some uh, stress on the healthcare system, but nowhere near what we saw in the third wave, and certainly not close to our the the fifth wave that we had over over the the uh, December-January period.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering if you could speak to the like severity of illness that you saw because I mean I get a bit of a uh, one sided, uh, not one sided. I get a, a biased view in the ICU. Like we we get sheltered from a lot of the you know patients that might not be ICU candidates. Because, but certainly what I saw was that the acuity was nowhere near the same. We weren't seeing nearly as many ventilated patients with classic COVID. In fact, most of the cases that we saw were incidental COVIDs. They came in for a different reason and they swapped positive for uh, COVID-19. But, you know, you have a broader landscape of what was going on. So what was your impression of the severity of disease? Yeah, I agree. Quadra, this was like completely different. I mean,
1: we were seeing mainly people that were uh, coming into hospital. uh, It's hard to say whether it was incidental or the COVID was more of a catalyst. But for example, you would see an 85-year-old person, multiple comorbidities, often from a nursing home. And the COVID, what it did was it kind of just and put them over the edge, they got a fever, they stopped eating, went into renal failure, falls, dehydration, that type of thing. But I will say one thing that was remarkable is that the people that we were seeing, even I, I can't believe how many uh, 90 plus year olds I saw in hospital, were this a year ago, it was a death sentence, and now you're seeing these people. Maximum, I've seen them getting on like maybe three, four liters. I saw one guy get on face fast. He's the first guy I've seen in a long time, and these they were going home. They were getting better, and they were going home. And you know, I think that uh, I don't want any anybody to get hospitalized. It sucks to to get that sick, but the issue here, yeah, it, we can't ignore that the people who are getting hospitalized, a lot of them are fully vaccinated, but they're just very fragile medically, and it wouldn't make any difference if you give them a sixth, seventh, eighth dose. It was just a, a, fra- a medically fragile person that even in that situation, we were able to kind of uh, treat them and then and then get them home. So it's very, very different. And that's why it's, it's important to not just look at the numbers. You have to look past the numbers and actually understand what we were seeing on the
0: wards. Yeah. I mean, even if I look back at this fifth wave, Suman, it was Predominantly, at least in the ICU population, immunocompromised folks or unvaccinated folks. And the immunocompromised were or solid organ, uh like renal transplant predominantly. At one point we were about 75% renal transplant patients in wow. our IC. Like it was crazy. And so yeah, it was just a different beast. We weren't seeing the 30, 40, 50 year olds like we saw in previous waves. But yeah, it, it really it it felt different. Like you know, when you you see a ward that would have an outbreak in previous waves there'd be some people that would, it would be fatal for some, some of the patients. And we weren't seeing really this in this sixth way where people would, um, you know, become sick from during those, uh, during those outbreaks. So, you know, this is, of course there's exceptions. Of course, I'm not generalizing to everybody. I'm just saying from what I saw, um, this was a completely a different beast.
1: Yeah. And I, I think we can't, we really can't stress how much different it was. Like, you know, we are the same thing at Trillium that uh, the number of people in the ICU in the last year you can count on one hand people that actually had that classic you know COVID hypoxia bilateral uh, uh, white or not whiteout but you know severe infiltrations uh, needing airvo we didn't have that and you know I think that we really have to remember that uh, the, you know not just with vaccination but also people who have gotten COVID and gotten immunity from that you now have a population that's no longer immune naive plus a a variant that uh, uh, is intrinsically less severe, especially in those with immunity. We we have to really take that into consideration uh, when uh, looking at what's happening on the ground.
0: Yeah, and and to reinforce that too, we were talking about, what they say? At one point, they were saying like 100,000 infections per day kind of thing. You know what I mean? When you look, a hundred thousand cases per day. And then you look what our hospitalizations were doing. Like that was really reassuring in some ways. You know what I mean? Like it just didn't fit. It didn't fit what we were seeing in previous waves.
1: That's true. Look, we have to remember that. Like, I think that people, uh, when you're kind of waves for us, especially for the first three or four, they meant, a disruption to our lives it meant restrictions uh uh mainly restrictions that was the, the biggest thing and then you just have to remember that when you get a wave going through and you have a population that has so much immunity uh that makes a difference and this is how pandemics progress in the past and you have to remember that immunity is something that is uh such a huge part of this and what helps us to get past this this uh disruptive uh, uh phase of the pandemic
0: and, and to reinforce to I, I don't know how much was set on the record for, for you, uh, Sumon, but I know we've had some offline discussions. The the natural immunity and the hybrid immunity, how protective it truly was from severe disease. Like, I think this is what was really a, and a less severe uh, variant. Like when you add it all up, this was like, like w- really positive, uh, like really prepared us for this sixth wave. Like, like, you know, knowing that, you know, you hear different Numbers for seroprevalence or how many patients have or people have actually gotten positive from Omicron the previous uh, variants. But, you know, like having that level of immunity, that uh, um, hybrid immunity vaccinations, like we really were in a good spot, relatively speaking. I agree, and and you know, I, I'm in Peel. Um, the uh, we, which is
1: for for a lot of the pandemic, we were at the very top in terms of incidents, just because again, you know, the, the structural factors, uh, factories, multi generational homes, dense population. And I don't know, I haven't checked as of today, but you know, for the last several weeks, we've been right at the bottom in terms of incidents. Now, of course, some of that might be testing behavior, but also I just think there's a ton, a ton of in- immunity, whether it's like you mentioned uh, from the vaccine, from infection itself, or from both. And this cannot be ignored. And this is why we're in the situation we are now.
0: 100%. And, and I mean, this gets a little bit to the why many of us were were... were advocating that we didn't need to escalate restrictions. We didn't need to escalate uh, mandates and so forth. So I wonder if I could get your thoughts. Like there was a, it was pretty heavy handed. those that are wanting to bring back mask mandates. And I mean, you've been on the record saying, you know, we're good. Like we don't need to be adding more in terms of uh, mandates and restrictions. Like what, what are your thoughts on that? Like what, what made you, Confident in that decision. What? Where do you? How do you feel about what's being said even now, today? Because there's still, in this spot we are in now, some hardcore enthusiasts saying, "Where's the mandates?" I hear you. No, no, to be fair, I wasn't
1: confident or anything. Just that I just thought like given the evidence that we were seeing in other parts of the world, uh, like England, uh, I think England's the, the great example, uh, but also just kind of what I was seeing that uh, you look at different jurisdictions. So many places were trying restrictions, uh, mass mandates, whether there's surgical masks yeah, or, uh, you know, the N95 equivalents in places like Austria, they were all having the same thing, a wave. And, it, you know, I was realizing that what, we didn't really have much control over the the trajectory of the wave, unless you were able to lock down an entire population. Then, you know, for example, what we're seeing in in China right now, right? But here, you know, we're not really doing much to blunt the wave. And if you remember, in the first wave, the very first wave, the, it was one of our uh, kind of one of our biggest ones. We didn't have a mass mandate, and it still ended up uh, uh, coming down. And I think the point is that th- these things kind of go up, they hit a number of the susceptible people, and they naturally come down. And it's been happening relatively quickly. So with that, you realize whether you mask, or you didn't mask, it didn't make a difference. And I think that um, one really interesting quote that I heard from an article, I, I forgot where maybe it was in the Atlantic, but uh, the point is at the very beginning of all of this, we had a strategy and the strategy was let's try to do whatever we can to break transmission chains, to keep community transmission low so we can reduce hospitalizations, right? The, the whole two weeks to flatten the curve. What ended up happening is the strategy became the goal. Uh, you know, the strategy of keeping things suppressed became the goal. And it, we kind of it was very, very difficult to shake that even to this day. But I think the long and short of it is, I think, before the, everything was dropped in February, I looked at this and thought, look, masks, I think, on an individual level, if you're wearing a high-quality, well-fit mask, it could protect you, right? But on a population, by asking everybody to mask, it wasn't really blunting anything. So I think that's the reason why I thought it was time to lift the mask mandate. It was time to lift restrictions. And look, we had all of this. At a time where everything was wide open, we have no mask mandate and we're plummeting right now in terms of not just cases, but also hospitalizations. I think that's what we need to consider going forward, that we're going to have more waves of this thing, just like we're just going to have respiratory season. I don't think that we should be uh, reinstating any sort of mandate or restriction going forward.
0: Yeah. And I think we need to remember, too, like there's other like just next door in Quebec didn't have an active mask mandate. And they had a similar wave of uh, as us had higher numbers, in fact, per capita. You you mean they did have a mandate? Oh, so yeah, yeah. yeah, My my bad. They had a mandate. Yeah. They had uh, higher numbers per capita in terms of uh, cases and hospitalizations. So, you know, just as a real world example, in terms of you know uh, seeing if we would expect a a mass mandate to drastically impact our numbers it's just i feel like we just don't learn like i feel like this is what gets on my nerves it's like we have data in front of us and we somehow think maybe in ontario we're a little bit different (laughs) we can ignore what's happening next door we can ignore what's happening in jolly england governor you know like it's just (laughs) so yeah i i guess um i just feel like i feel like it's kind of like we were talking about offline this like i think we really need this perspective shift i think and i don't know how to create this you know i keep trying to like the other day i was asked to do an interview though and i remember talking to uh, one of the colleagues and i'm like i don't even feel like i need to address some of this stuff man like this we're beyond this now like i want to talk about recovery i want to talk about the path forward i want to talk about how we catch our our country back i want to talk about how we get back to normal life that's what i want to get on not like Oh man this case number in this area went up like I'm done I'm done personally you know what I'm saying so and, you know, I completely agree with that. I think this
1: is where where this is an important thing is the last several months, you know, we're talking about daily case counts, although daily case counts, they're still there. You can still access them, but they're not being kind of reported on every day. And my thing is, is that we're, we're talking about the sixth wave now. There's going to be more waves, but we have to think about this. This is not numbers of waves anymore. These are not just respiratory season. When flu season starts, you hear the odd thing about it on, on TV. But the point is, it's not something that's, an, it's not benchmarked. It's not an announced to everybody, which then kind of causes everybody to get, get nervous. Then we have a model come out and we have all this kind of like attention paid to what is essentially a respiratory season. Right. So that's part of my thing, you know, going forward is, you know, we don't need to tell people when there's a respiratory wave coming. I think that's important to kind of people understand what they can do to stay, uh, protect themselves if if they choose to. And the other thing is the idea it's kind of gotten into our lingo a bit, like, okay, you're saying, by stay safe, you know, uh, a long weekend's coming up, stay safe. And I don't even think that's necessary anymore. We don't need to be telling people to do things in order to try to de- decrease transmission. We, we don't need to do that. I mean, the, we, we can't, first of all, it's, it's essentially impossible to stop the transmission of Omicron given how, how um, contagious it is. Uh, you know, of course, in the hospital area, in other high risk areas, that's very different. I think that's it's important. I do like the idea of going forward with new buildings with good ventilation. That stuff all makes sense. But I think that the idea that you should be telling everybody, hey, you know, it's uh, May 2, 4 is coming up. Be safe. You know, be careful. I don't think we need to be doing that. And that just kind of always has this cloud over what we're doing. And I I think that really affects people. It's like, you know, you're having a good time, but that cloud's going to be there. It's going to come back. And really, I think going forward, in the next respiratory season, no mask mandate. You can have a recommendation and no need for restrictions because we've proven that look what happened with things wide open. And we lived through it. And I think this is what's going to happen in the future. But I still do think that we should control what we can control. And that's getting people vaccinated uh, and boosted uh, who are at high risk.
0: Absolutely. And I just, I feel like we're wrecking people with, with this lack of, uh with this continuous uh fear narrative. Like I, I ran into a nurse the other day. She's got a seven and five year old, B- both got COVID and she was, you know, I was, I approached her, I'm like, are we shaking hands, or are we bumping fists? I wasn't sure, and she would, she was, didn't want to do anything. She's like, I'm still nervous. I'm like, your family just went through COVID? And you, and, you, and she was like, yeah, I'm never fine, I know, everything went, and and she was like, I'm still nervous. I, I still, uh, I just uh, I'm worried about getting COVID again, and all these so and all these kind of comments. I'm like, what is happening? It's like you're seeing people, and you know, they've uh, a month recovered from their COVID, no asymptomatic, still masking in public or whatever. And I'm like, what what, is it? Fear? Is it like do is it education? Is it like uh, uh, you know want to show that you care? Whatever it is, we need to be. I don't know i just feel like we need to be better i just feel like we need to continue to move and and shift that narrative of being like uh going back to that normalcy going back to that normal life because all these limitations restrictions they impact people like I, I, another story yeah. i remember uh, uh hearing from a teen a teen a, a young teen girl Saying you know she was in an area doesn't need her mask, but she wants to wear a mask because she could hide her face a little bit more, like to be, appear more attractive. I'm like, what the fuck are we doing to people? I know, I you know don't, what man, I'm saying. Sad. Yeah, oh. yeah, it, it's it's terrible, and and like you
1: know that that's the thing that uh, you know these types of you know, social cues, facial expressions, um, you know, uh, just the idea of I'm Actually, you know, uh, um, since the, uh, the mask mandate dropped, there's some people that I, I've been working with, uh, you know, seeing a, when, as you're walking out of the hospital, I'm seeing their face for the very first time. Oh, and totally. uh, it's refreshing. It's refreshing, but it, it's just, I realize that how long we've been in this, the hospital is going to be a different story. I'm not mm. in any way, shape or form saying that we should stop doing that. It's a different circumstance, but uh, outside there, Like, you know, it's been great this last six weeks without it and just being able to go into a place, uh, see people smiling. Uh, You're still seeing a lot of outdoor and uh, indoor masking. But I know that as time goes on, that will that that will uh, decline.
0: Yeah. And just in case I get, you know, the emails, I'm not I, I respect the individual choice. I just want you to make sure it's an educated choice and you're doing it to protect yourself when you feel like you need to be protected, not just for. Virtue signaling, or whatever the term might be, uh, it's a, a good question in the in the text box. And like, you know, I'm trying to always preach, like let's let the data support our our policies and our decision making. And right now in this country, if you're unvaccinated, you can't go on a plane or train to visit your loved one. Like one of these things that these scenarios I heard about not that long ago is someone's someone's loved one is dying and they want to get on a plane to go see them before their last days, can't do it because they're unvaccinated. You know, any thoughts, whether you feel like this is going to end or warrants uh, further discussion?
1: Yeah, I I think right now, uh, especially now with just the amount of immunity that we have on the ground, whether it's from the vaccine or from being infected, um, the idea of that, the small number of people who aren't vaccinated. I don't understand the reason for this coercion. First of all, I don't think coercion should be used at all for um, getting people to do a medical intervention. But I think that uh, this sort of like hyper focus with so much kind of disdain rained down on people that haven't gotten vaccinated is is troubling to me, especially uh, just because it's not the way that I want to treat somebody. The idea that an unvaccinated person can't go on a plane, uh, uh, I think plane or train, right? Uh, Yeah, plane or train. uh, any kind of uh, that type of uh, uh, transportation, especially when we know the vaccine doesn't do a very good job of preventing transmission. So the risk uh, you, you know, on a population scale is not really all that different. So uh, I, I think it should have been lifted a long time ago. I think it is discriminatory. And yeah, it leads to these awful situations of people not being able to see their family. When if you remember that, you know, if the, if you're vaccinated and you have an unvaccinated person around you, you know, you're protected against severe disease. If anything, if that person hasn't been exposed, they're at more risk. Right. But now we're in a different stage. We're two years into this. People have even the vaccine people, even people who are unvaccinated, a large portion of them have immunity from, from Mm -hmm. being um, infected. So I just think that all of these types of short-sighted policies should be lifted. Like you mentioned, going back to, to normal life, realizing COVID's now with us, uh, we have uh, tools to, to treat it. Uh, you don't ignore it, but that's something that we can deal with in the medical field and for the most part, you know we, we've done a pretty good job, and the, the vaccine has done a great job in keeping people out of the hospital.
0: yeah, absolutely I, I, yeah, I, I do think overall that language uh, we, I think we did lose that narrative a little bit of like explaining to folks like the per, the, the main value of the vaccine is to reduce your risk of being hospitalized too. I think this is one thing that got lost for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, this is something that, you know, I feel like I'm continuing having to to educate folks on, um, yep. got another question in the chat box. Would you go to a concert today without a mask? like Technically yeah. I have. I, I mean, I,
1: I, a concert, I went to a, the Raptors game. I've been a couple of times, actually. In fact, I went to a Raptors game um, even before you remember in October, November, yeah. you know, October, November, December, there's a period where things were wide open. Right. Yeah. So uh, I, I went to, to that. I, th- I think that for me is that, listen, like I know that there's a risk of COVID there. Uh, although to be fair, I think those of us who have been working in the hospital since 2020, I'm sure we've been exposed multiple times. There's there's an interesting study that uh, was looking at uh, healthcare workers that had been exposed multiple times and then not gotten clinical COVID. I didn't get it until way later. Um, But the point is, is that look, I I think that if you didn't know if if you didn't know it was COVID, it just felt like you know having. uh, I'm, I'm vaccinated. It felt like having just a febrile respiratory illness felt unwell for a day or two. And then I was, I was back on my feet. Right. And uh, the thing is that knowing that it was COVID or not knowing it wouldn't have been any big difference. So I think for me, it was important. I, I got to get, uh, got, to, I got to watch basketball. I love basketball. I got to watch a hockey game. Uh, just being with my, my uh, friends that I haven't seen in a long time, that to me was worth any small risk of, uh, of
0: COVID. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll answer it similar to you, Sumon, like, um, you know, I know my risks and, and, you know, I'm not anxious for myself to, uh, to get uh, for a COVID infection. And, uh, you know, the times were different if I were, you know, immunocompromised, metabolically unhealthy, unvaccinated, it would be a different story, but um, I would embrace it at this stage. You know, like it's it's not 2020, you know, I, I think that's to me what, is, is, is lost in all of this and, and not to be too repetitive, but it's not the same virus that what was um, not only from a virulence perspective, but also from uh, what it can do to us based on our, our excellent vaccination uh, rates and so forth. I'm wondering, cause this is a question I get a lot is, you know, who, who needs a fourth dose? Does everybody need a fourth dose? I don't know if you've had a lot of uh, th- thought put into this, so much Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't know who does, to be honest with you, because I think the thing that's bothered me with the uh, booster rollout, first of all, I think that um, when you're in an emergency phase, like we were, for example, in January, 2021, um, you, you have to make calls without uh, as much evidence as you, you'd like. And I think we did the right thing. We, we, um, we rolled the vaccine to the highest risk people first. Uh, we went to certain uh, neighborhoods as well, to certain FSAs where there's a lot of transmission. And I think that that was the right call. Could we have done things better? For sure. I think we did that. Now, that we're out of the emergency phase, I think that we really should be waiting for RCTs uh, before doing any widespread uh, vaccine policy. This fourth dose, um, you know, I, I could see that being given to um, you know somebody who's profound profoundly. You know, I think we've been saying uh, immune compromise, but you know, having trained in ID. Every one of them, we used to always harp on us. When you say immune compromised, what do you mean? You know, if somebody who's on methotrexate is different than somebody who just got a bone marrow, you know, autologous bone marrow transplant, right? Or actually allergenic bone marrow transplant. It's a very, very different situation. So you have to kind of balance that. So... Um, you know, looking at what, what we're seeing right now, is just a completely different picture. It's a completely different picture, and we just have to take that into account. Uh, and uh, I don't know, what, what, what are your thoughts about on this?
0: I just think there's no reason for not doing RCTs right now. Like, I think you could give it, I think you could give it, um, like, if I were, I'm just putting myself, what, what would be a, uh, a situation where I'd want a fourth dose? And for me, it would probably be, I got severe immune compromised. Yep elderly population potentially but you know the the trials that we're doing are are observational are not, or not i shouldn't say trials the, the studies that we're doing are observational you take you compare those that got a fourth dose and outcomes with those that got a third dose and it makes sense that you know if you see a, a, a benefit in the fourth dose people that you would think hey then for sure i'm going to want a fourth dose the issue is the, the people that got the fourth dose are not the same people that would got the third dose. Like the fourth dose people could could be more careful, uh, more vigilant group of folks. Yeah. Um, you know, like it, it just you want to be able to do it randomized where you, you you find people that are equal demographic, equal risk, and say, Hey, you get you get a you get a booster. Fourth, fourth dose and you don't and then see the outcomes like we're mm-hmm. at the stage now because of once again i think we're in a better spot than we've been in the past to really make a f- like formal evaluations and and to be more sure of the science um but you know like i said if there's with with the data that we have today if i were in those high risk categories i would i, I would i think i would take an extra dose and
1: there's also i think you know we're seeing this waning effect that's happening the first dose if i'm not mistaken it was waned. it was in the New England journal paper i think it's out of israel right they showed Mm -hmm. waning at like three to eight weeks which is even faster than it did with the third dose and that makes you think that still might be something that you could use but you you might want to time it uh for a respiratory wave right so giving it now you might be shooting the shot too early Right. That's either confirmed. way, you, you know what I'm saying? So either way, like, you know, I just, it really makes me uncomfortable that for those who something announced by um, the CEO of Pfizer, what's his name? Burlas. And then all of a sudden, you're, you know, within a couple of weeks, it's now policy for 60 and above everybody in the States. And, you know, we kind of have been uh, following suit in a lot of what they've been doing. So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, we're, out of the, we're out of the phase, we're out of the emergency phase, whatever type of policy that needs to be put in now, it should be done with good evidence.
0: Yeah. Like we, like we've, we've, the the bar has shifted because of the urgency in the earlier, but yeah, I think the standard should be high quality randomized control trials that dictate policy when we have time. And in my opinion, we have time to be more diligent to really have a firm grip on these questions. You know what I'm saying? Cause like, Definitely. yeah. Um, Amy, parting thoughts remarks anything that's been irking you that you want to get off your chest that i haven't been able to to address my friend
1: Uh, you you know i think that the the big thing for me and you know uh, you and i used to do a lot of media like when in the the months previous i have not done a lot at all uh, especially since the ukraine war which obviously is a terrible thing, uh, but in in one sense that, you know, uh, th- this thing is something that was hyper-focused on for two years. And the fact that the the perspective is changing for different reasons, I do think that um, people have to remember that uh, even when uh, COVID is not something that's going to be in everyone's, you know, front windshield, it's something that we're going to be dealing with in the medical field, uh, in ICU, in, uh, you know, ID for years to come. And the thing is that at this point now, uh, your individual choice, Choices aren't what's making a big uh, difference in, in, in the wave, right? But I think the other thing is that for two years, we had um, the onus put on the population to kind of, um, account for a structural uh, defect that we had in our healthcare system. Obviously this is not something that's going to be fixed quickly, but I do think that now, look, we did our thing. We have the vaccines. Now it's important to like really kind of look deep and see what we can do in the short, medium, and long-term to really fix these problems in the healthcare system to the best of our ability to be able to withstand these surges in the future. And, uh, Listen, I'm not a health policy or health administration expert, but I do think that these solutions do exist and we should talk about them because, you know, we're going to see other pandemics. And I really don't want us to have to go through this again, especially, you know, the, the lockdown and the way that it caused all these, you know, unintended and well, unintended harms that, that might last for, uh, you know, a long, long time to come.
0: 100%. I, I just think we there, need to, there needs to be a focus on interventions over over restrictions I think we need to build capacity. I think we need to have an open mind to therapeutics and the, and really reverse engineer these the how we approach COVID. Who lands in hospital? What do they need to prevent them from landing in hospital? Bring the ther- the therapy to them if you need it. Make it easily accessible. You know whether that's monoclonals, whether that's Paxlovid, whatever it might be at the time. Va- like vaccines at your door. Like let's make it as simple as possible to protect the hospitals and build capacity. And, and, but at the same time, really had a focus on maintaining normal life. Cause I mean, Suman, I think you put it lightly that some of this impacts can be generational. I, I honestly yeah. think so. Like the yeah. mental health, the education, especially for our kids that, you know, like that, that virtual learning was an atrocity as far as I'm concerned. Like it just, uh-huh. it, was, it was too harmful for so many. But uh, actually there's one last thing I forgot to ask you about and I'd be remiss not to bring this up. Fistman paper. Did you have any, did you have any? uh, So there's a paper that came up about Fistman. I always get this wrong a little bit, but basically saying that unvaccinated folks can really disproportionately uh, 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 spread COVID, uh, especially to those that are vaccinated um, based on his model. And uh, this got a lot of press. Yeah, I more press than I ever would have thought. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts towards the paper. Yeah. You know, I think the
1: paper um, it's a, <clears throat> the, the long and short of it. I, I agree. Like, I think that on, on first glance, says, "Oh, where's this coming from? And you look at it in the paper, you have to realize what this is. This is a model that was put together and there were certain parameters that were entered that then, then kind of like gave a result. And I think that, you know, these, some of these parameters, you know, it didn't account for waning immunity. It didn't account for, uh, you know, post-infection immunity. Uh, there was a, I think the vaccine efficacy for infection was uh, put up, I believe at 80%. 80%. There's a lot of things that I think were plugged in uh, which uh, were not uh, entirely correct. But the other thing to remember, this is a model. This is not real life. Uh, And I think that um, this type of uh, paper, I think it really was kind of casting a negative, very divisive type of um, uh, perspective on individuals who are unvaccinated. Look, I want people to get vaccinated, but I don't want to force anybody to do it. And I certainly don't want to shame people that didn't do it. The other thing is to remember an unvaccinated person in 2022 is different than what was uh, what we were seeing in a year ago because look, we've had two massive Omicron waves. We've had a Delta wave. People have been exposed and we can't be ignoring uh, post-infection in immunity. So I think that the bottom line is, the paper was a model. I don't think it reflects real life. And I think that there's a lot of assumptions that went into it that were uh, not correct. And uh, the result, whatever it was, is not really applicable to the broader um, situation that we're seeing, which we really want to be dictated by uh, evidence that's uh, that's from, uh, like, you know, on the ground, real life situation.
0: Yeah, that's the only thing I'll add is that or to reinforce, I guess, is that I would like to see a model that reflects what we're seeing on the ground not a hypothetical situation that is past us and uh just because i just from a societal point of view i just think this takes us a step back and uh and so i i was a little bit disappointed at how much how much it was picked up and how much how quickly conclusions were made about it um but it, it, we've seen a little bit of uh bite from the medical and scientific community in terms of this paper So we'll see uh, how it plays out My friend Definitely, definitely. Listen as always Suma Chakrabarty Suma Chakrabarty Representing hard yo And I just want to thank still, you as always I, I, Am I, still, I
1: I'm still holding the record The, the oh, most, uh, down, yeah. uh, most uh, visited Guest close. on the, on the yo, show man.
0: right Yo man <laughs> it, by the time this comes out will probably be 183rd episode Ish and uh, You've made at least 97 appearances and 97. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yo I want to thank know, you as always me, you, you always represent well doing this live off the cuff too I got give you mad props as always listen folks thanks for listening we always appreciate any comments you can find us at uh, on Instagram YouTube TikTok IG uh Facebook, obviously. Uh, uh, follow us along there. Also, leave your comments at quadcast999gmail.com. We love you for changing the boogie. Check out Solving Wellness. And uh, everyone, I was going to say, stay safe. <laughs> everyone, have fun. <laughs> have
1: fun. Be joyous. You know, How uh, Johnson and Joy McLeod, keep fit
0: and have fun. Yeah, keep fit and have fun. Yeah, yeah. man. Oh, that's perfect. Perfect words. All right, right, folks. Thanks so much. See you then.